Welcome to Asbury Pod with Amy Quinn and Joe Walsh. This week, more surfing as we talk to Rodney Solomon from KYDS Asbury Park, which stands for Conscious Youth Development and Service, and Christian May from the Asbury Park Surf Club, and learn how they teamed up to get the kids of Asbury Park, or Neptune, or Long Branch, onto their beaches, into the water, and up on a board. This is not as simple as it sounds, as you will hear. Welcome, Christian and Rodney. P.S. Yes, those are crickets you hear. I record in my basement, and they live here now, apparently, and I can't find them. So we'll listen to them together. The matters addressed in this podcast represent my own personal views and opinions concerning issues affecting the citizens of Asbury Park in my capacity as the deputy mayor of the city of Asbury Park. They do not necessarily represent the official position of the city or the official position of the Asbury Park City Council as a whole. I am developing and implementing this podcast in an effort to keep citizens informed. However, this is not an official City of Asbury Park podcast and does not, and I repeat, does not represent the official position of the city or the governing body. Their interviews always hit the mark, so subscribe to Asbury Park. I mean, pod. Be informed, don't be in the dark. Everybody listen to Asbury Park. I mean, pod. Everything you need to know. Brought to you by Amy and Joe. If you're local, they're the pod for you. But Bennies are welcome and Shoebies too. Route 35 to Convention Hall. As Barry Pod covers it all. As Barry Pod, I love you. I love you. All right, we're just going to welcome our listeners to Asbury Pod, and we have two. We this is now for this evening our third small business. Um, Joe and um, I'm going to have Rodney and Chris introduce themselves. Um, uh, hopefully, Rodney can talk a little bit about kids, and and Chris can talk a little bit about surfing, and um, and we'll take it from there, guys. This is like super e- easy peasy. We're not, you know, we want nothing but to promote everything you're doing, which is why you're on the show. Um, you know, nothing, nothing great. And well, as far as I know, nothing crazy is going to happen. <laughs> Give us a few minutes. <laughs> and even if something crazy happens, honestly, I re-listen to it. And then I tell Joe to edit out when I've said crazy shit. And I'm like, Joe, you got to edit minute 22 second 30 because I went on a crazy rant and that was inappropriate. Um, so even if you do say something crazy, we will edit it. Yeah. So um, just to, for our listeners, we're, you know, we're talking to uh, Chris and Rodney from the Asbury Park Surf Club. Rodney's also with KYDS. So there's a partnership here we want to really dig into and, and, and um, you know, let people know what's going on and what you guys are doing, what you're all about. So, you know, let's, you know, let you guys tell us, you know, Rodney, Chris, you know, give us a rundown. What is the Asbury Park Surf Club? What are you guys doing? What is K, what are K, uh, what is KYDS? And what do you got, what, what is that about? And, you know, um, and what's happening in, in Asbury here? You want to go first, Chris? Yeah, you know, I think um, if it wasn't for KYDS, the Asbury Park Surf Club likely wouldn't be here. So I think, um, you know, I'll let Rodney take it and, and give a little backstory on uh, KYDS. Oh, yeah, nothing. Uh, uh, first of all, hold to love. Uh, 
Ronnie Salmon from KYDS. I want to give my gratitude and appreciation to Amy and Joe for allowing me to even have a space to just express and share what our organization is about. And uh, kids, we've been doing uh, work of this holistic wellness since 2014. And really, it's a passion project between myself and my soul brother, Michael Mills, where we just did a lot of community work and just had a passion just to see how we could bring solutions to the challenges and obstacles that we see. And I was a youth development specialist at the Park High School. Mike was working for the Food Bank now for Phil. And we just had a lot of experience interacting in the community in different levels. And one of the products that was birthed from that was our Journey Summer Program. And it was a free summer program, mainly focused when we first began, just for the youth of Asbury Park. And we collaborated with the Boys and Girls Club and let's use their location and facility. And we did a five-week summer program, six-week for elementary and middle school youth, and then it evolved into two separate programs for elementary and middle school and working with the elementary youth from Neptune, Asbury Park, Long Branch. And we had a good friend, Lisa from Ohana. She's not here tonight. But she uh, was someone that I had a lot of respect for, a lot of trust in. She did a lot of trainings for our organization and our staff. And, you know, someone that you just have trust in. And then she introduced me to Chris, uh, I think about a year and a half ago. And we just started having conversations. And I just really felt his heart because, like, you know, something like that, when you bring it around youth, it's like you really want to be sure that people have the right intention, you know, like what they're doing this for. And he was just breaking down to me, like, the history of surfing and, like, the nature and the essence of where it came from. It's just like how, how much history has been lost where the folks who created surfing are not even the ones out here uh, riding the waves. And it's very similar to the story and history of, of Asbury Park, of the segregation. So I was like, man, how dope would it be if we were able to have some level, like, because we do mindfulness and yoga, but that isn't everything that you do. And especially with youth, to engage them, you have to constantly do things that are interactive. I was like, man, how fun was surfing being? He took me out one day, and it was just such a freeing experience. You know, it was like you ride in the waves of the ocean, but it's like you ride in the waves of your own emotion. And we started to, to partner together the first year was just once a week. We had a, like the letter end of our summer program and the kids had a beautiful time just seeing them face their fears and, you know, being led in, in a safe env environment container. So we extended that in our second year, still like in a pilot program because we're still learning a lot. But Chris, I'll let him explain more about the volunteer support and twice a week, Thursday and Fridays. And we I think we had a pretty good summer of like only one cancellation day, like one or two. And they really showed them like the foundation, the basics, the elements. And it was like a way to bring this mindfulness into life and use this experience of facing the fear of going into the water, not knowing how to swim to a space where it's like, oh, OK, man, like how can I apply the same uh, mindset into everything that I do in life, not just in the ocean, but in the classroom, dealing with what's going on in society right now and like the mental health issues what youth are facing. So that's kind of like a little, uh, uh, I guess, a subset synopsis of a summer program and how we partnered in. It's been a beautiful connection, you know, mm -hmm. and just seeing the, the energy blossom. So, I mean, I've been following your, um, as we, the surf club on your social media since it started, and it looks like you guys had a pretty good turnout all year, you know, which is great, you know, and because surfing, I keep telling people, you know, uh, since I moved to Asbury, I've been threatening to learn how to surf, right? But, but I, I failed miserably. I mean, I haven't tried, but it seems like such a, like, as Ronnie says, it's an amazing sport. So it's a, you know, but there are barriers to entry to that sport, right? It's not the easiest sport to pick up and just jump into. Uh, so, you know, Chris, tell us a little about uh, surfing, maybe your background and how, and how you got involved with this. Absolutely. Yeah. So um, I've been surfing. Uh, pretty much my whole life started when I was 10 years old. My dad had started back in the, uh, in the late sixties. Um, so it's definitely something very much, uh, in my blood. Um, it's, it's a passion of mine. It's how I make a living. I work in the surf industry, um, was my first job was working in a surf shop, which kind of led onto that. So 
um, tons of experience in the ocean, as well as experience and contacts within the industry. Um, you know, I kind of alluded a little bit earlier, just Rodney being uh, definitely an inspiration for us getting started here um, after attending the uh, the piece in the park on Springwood Avenue last year. Um, you know, something that he said that that really resonated with me, and it was really, you know, amidst all of the protests um, and also being in the middle of the pandemic, just you know, looking at the structures you're in, um, that's that's the area where you're most valuable, you know, and, and how do you change those structures that you're in? Um, being here in America from, you know, this isn't the case in, in many other countries when you go into Southern America, you def South America, you definitely have a more diverse crowd surfing, but here in North America, it is a predominantly white sport. Um, you know, you go to Hawaii, you will have more Hawaiians. Um, that's where the sport started. Um, but it's definitely, there is a barrier to entry. Um, and I think it is uh, the longstanding history in this country of racism, segregation, that has led us to a point where, you know, you have a large population that lives a mile from the beach. Um, you know, I grew up right by Atlantic City, same thing there, um, very diverse city. And the second you walk off the sand, get into the ocean, um, that diversity disappears. Um, so, you know, getting together with Lisa Broderick at Ohana and Phil Brown here in Glide Surf Co, you know, being a kind of a hub of surf culture in, in Asbury Park, um, you know, taking that mindset, but also the fact that, and Rodney can speak more on it, just the challenges for summer camps last year. Um, you know, kids were unable to even go outside and, and kind of recreate, and especially for kids in, in Asbury Park, you know, there's a lot being said around some of the trauma of just being stuck indoors. Um, surfing was one of the only things that you can do, you could do. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I had reached out to Rodney last year, um, and just pitched the idea of like, all right, let's, let's get down to the beach and, you know, see how this works out. And yeah, we had a few times, uh, that we got in the water last year. I took Rodney out a few times. He's a, he's a natural, um, he's picking it up pretty quickly. Um, and then this year we did, uh, we were doing two days a week throughout their summer journey. So it was a six week program. Uh, and one of the things that was really amazing to me was, you know, the kids that came up to me early on, like, you know, I've only a couple that had only been in the ocean once or twice, um, some that didn't know how to swim and, you know, seeing them being actually the most enthusiastic about it. Um, some of the ones that have the most progression, you know, we had a couple of students who couldn't swim that, you know, they're getting the basics down pretty quick. Um, and just from my experience, I, I think it's really impactful to expose kids to the ocean. Um, but getting them down there one day, you know, one day a summer, um, it's not enough. If we're going to address things like, you know, rip currents and safety, and that's a huge component to our organization, like, you know, all of that is built around surfing. So it's the surfing that's getting you down there. But each week, um, you know, we're talking about currents, we're talking about environmentalism. Um, it's something that's very much built into the program mm -hmm. um, each week. Hey, so, can I ask what brought you guys? So Rodney, I, my son goes to Bradley Elementary. So I, I, I know you guys are in the school. Um, what brought you brought you both to kind of set up shop in Asbury Park or or at least focus a lot on on Asbury Parker? Did you grow up here from here? Or just yeah, I think I, I'm going to say like this, the universe. I, I grew up, <laughs> I actually grew up in uh, Marlboro. I moved there in sixth grade from Union and my father got me on an AAU team where the head coach was from like Hazlitt, but we practiced in the Westside Community Center. 
and we practiced at the Asbury Park Middle School. So like all through middle school and high school, like I was always placed there. I had teammates that were from there. Like it really helped me maintain a level of the culture, like living in the suburbs, but seeing the experience to their eyes and sometimes being in their environment. And I just saw like, it's great people that live here. So many talented folks, but it's just like the, the socioeconomics, the, the, you know, the poverty, like you just see how sometimes that diminishes. And I ended up going to Monmouth University. I was playing football there and I, I was a social work major and I interned at Asbury Park High School in uh, 2007. And after my first year interning, uh, Ms. Phyllis Ledbetter offered me a part-time job to work at the school. Uh, in the high school at a school-based program as a behavior specialist. And from that point forward, I just really was just like this integrated into the school and part of the culture, going to the football games, working with the kids, seeing like two, three generations of like, I left in 2017 when I stopped doing this full time, but I just, it just became a part of me. And when I was working with the specialist, like I was just like, I didn't have anything else to do, but just give myself to be of service. And when I left, I was like, man, okay, I guess I said, universe, man, like, hey, I just want to go work and make an impact. And I applied for so many jobs where like, I got to the final standing in Newark or like in Patterson and I just didn't get the job. I was like, okay, something's trying to make me stay here. You know, something's like, is wanting me to really put my energy into this space. So I just took the skills that I gained as a youth development specialist and the skills I learned through like my own personal journey. And I was like, hey, I have a solution. I'm not saying it's the only way, but I, I know it's a very practical and effective way if I could figure out how to express this in a way that people will be open to it. People could integrate it and help them support port themselves so that's kind of the gist of how i ended up in, in asbury park well you were like one of the few i have to bring up marlboro so i also moved to marlboro when i was in third or fourth grade wow. and um that that What's, was what school not, you go to i went to marlboro middle school uh-huh. and then i went to a school called asher homes asher homes okay, which was yeah. an elementary school um and i have very few <laughs> experiences from that town oh, so man. it's so funny I um I never meet people from Marlboro, and when I have high school, you know, I have friends that I stayed with since I was little, and they're like, "Oh, we're going back to Marlboro." I'm like, "Why?" That, oh, that man. place was not. It <laughs> certainly wasn't welcoming to little lesbians. Let me say that. Oh man, I, I would say like when I learned about equity, and like one of our staff took us through deeper trainings, and I was like, "Oh, I have a lot of unprocessed trauma, like things <laughs> that I just learned to just suppress or learn to just navigate." With came to light was like, "Oh yeah, I experienced all of that," but it was just mm-hmm. like. My parents would say, hey, we moved here for education. We moved here to kind of get things like we lived in Union, like a little box. And my dad's like, hey, my brother's like, we're going to get the education that we deserve. But it's unfortunate that it's in those environments still that you like read about where it's not as heavy and dense, but it, it still exists like in a subtle way where it's like that, uh, that division or that, that unconscious bias towards people who are different than you. It did not welcome different in any way. It was whatever is the opposite. So my parents also divorced and like I had a brother, I had a sibling with like major addiction issues that was always like erupting into the neighborhood, right? You couldn't hide it. Police came or something like that. And um, I have, uh, you and I both have trauma from Marlboro. So when I meet friends of mine and I'm like, why are you going back to Marlboro? Why would you ever, you know, I got out the second I could get out and, 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 and found first Jersey city and then Asbury park and was like, I'm home. Yeah. Yeah. I live in Neptune now. So I was like, I was like, so I have to come around here. It's like, I I feel more home in Asbury park than I have in any community I've ever lived in. Me too. too. Rodney, I I work for Rutgers university and, and and supervise an undergraduate social work program. So I'm going to make a shout out to more football players majoring in social work. I think that would really, it's not, I mean, there's certainly not enough men entering the field in the first place, but I, you know, the, the, you know, 
uh, I think you're the first uh, Division One player I've heard do a major in social work. I'm like, you know, kudos to that. Like, I want more of that. Uh, you know, bring that kind of energy into social work. You know, mental health is real. I I yes. learned like once I learned what trauma and all this stuff was. I flashed yeah. back to my locker room. I was like, man, like if you would realize like how much this would benefit uh, these student athletes. Mm-hmm. So I, I want to address like the you. Know, I didn't get Chris's like what brought you well, yeah, Chris, because yeah. I went on a. I, <laughs> we lost like we lost all four listeners all, that I all four listeners I from marble have dropped the program i got some parents that remember me when i was a kid like rodney is that you so you know they give a nice donation which i definitely support and respect so oh absolutely yeah 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 they are everybody is well marble certainly was well off economically it just was not any any place that you could be creative or different in any capacity yeah Sorry. Yeah, Chris, how, how did you get that? Right? Absolutely. <laughs> no worries. Yeah. So I grew up, um, grew up in South Jersey on uh, Upseekin Island, a, a town called Margate, just south of Atlantic City. Um, so, you know, grew up surfing that area, grew up surfing Atlantic City as being kind of the wave of consequence in the area that, you know, you could really push your progression um, and worked at a surf shop down there, um, started at the age of, you know, working at that shop at 15, um, teaching lessons pretty much right away. Um, doing group lessons, uh, private lessons, um, started to go to school to become a teacher and just kind of realized halfway through um, my years working at a surf shop that, that business was more something along, um, along my interests. Um, but I still had that, that need to like want to teach people things and just, you know, early on um, being a part of um, things like, you know, teaching people how to surf um, was, was definitely a part of my life. Uh, eventually moved to San Diego, uh, where I was working, um, teaching surf lessons, working in a surf shop, uh, eventually got a position back East as a sales rep here, um, in the outdoor industry. Uh, so I kind of landed in Asbury park is the way that my territory set up. Number one waves. That was the most important thing, um, had to be along the coastline, um, here in Jersey, this area specifically, it definitely has some of the best waves along the East coast. So I did kind of hone in on that you know, Red Bank all the way down to, um, you know, Belmar, you know, a little bit further south. Um, but ultimately showed up in Asbury Park and just the city, the diversity, um, the creativity, the music just really resonated with me. So, um, you know, it was about six years ago, lived in Asbury for a year and then um, moved out right up Bangs Avenue and Neptune now. Um, so, yeah, this is where we're here. Just had a, had a son this year and, and building a life in the area. Great. Chris, you, you touched on something I wanted. I, this is my little bit of surf knowledge. Am I correct in saying that, the, that New Jersey has some of the best winter surfing in the country? Yes, absolutely. Uh, we don't have some of the biggest waves, um, but in terms of the shape and the quality, when we do get waves, uh, it's phenomenal. And it's also 30 degrees. So that usually keeps the crowds down. So very um, rare to find a space that you can go and surf with just your friends. Um, and high quality waves. I mean, you go out West and it is, um, you know, a mob scene all year because of the warm climate. Um, yeah. And we also have, you know, it's very unique to this area that we have a jetty just about every hundred, 150 yards, which also helps build really good sand, ba- sand banks. So, you know, you can just walk down the end of your street and you're going to usually find a pretty good wave in the winter. So, uh, Amy and I got to know each other when we both lived in the Santander and the first couple of years I lived in the Santander, my window faced the ocean. And I, I told someone 
you know, I had really knew nothing about surfing. I remember telling someone like my second or third year, I was like, man, there's somebody surfing 365 days a year. It could be 20 below. And there's some brave soul out there in, you know, in his, in his wetsuit, even if it's not a wave, he's waiting for one. It's like, it's hope springs eternal. It could be flat. And that guy's out there, but you know, where else would he want to be? It's probably calm and quiet and beautiful. And there's like, you know, Surfers always talk that there's a spiritual aspect to, uh, to surfing. And so it's, it seems to me like that guy's in his element, even if there's not a wave in sight. But I was always like the, the hardiness of the New Jersey surf uh, scene is pretty wild from, from a layperson's perspective. And it seems great that our, you know, that the residents, are, you know, the kids in Asbury are getting taught by or are now able to access this kind of uh, scene in a way that they're perhaps not able to before. Absolutely. Yeah. And I think having, um, you know, when it comes to the barrier of entry, you know, the biggest one obviously being the fear of the ocean. I mean, that's a huge component of it. Um, and then also the equipment comes after that, but once you can, you know, the fear of the ocean, that, that takes, that takes a lifetime, you know, depending on the conditions, you know, you're always just stepping up to that next level. Um, but the equipment thing between, you know, myself working in the industry, Phil Brown, who owns glide surf company, he's a, owns a, a surfboard factory here in ocean. You know, that equipment side is it's pretty easy to remove that um, inhibitor. Um, and that's kind of what the Asbury Park Surf Club is trying to do here. Um, you know, we're not trying to go come in here and, and blow up within our first year. Um, you know, we spent a lot of time working with Rodney and Michael just, you know, even this year, uh, in our first season, just figuring out what works, what doesn't. How do we get people out um, and involved? Um, but it's definitely, you know endless opportunity for the folks that, that live in this town or here all year. And I know you, you both kind of touched on the, the beach access and, and equity. And I know there's this fundraiser um, for um, the beach badges and also the city does these kind of little cards, but what, you know, whenever I have conversations with people and obviously um, uh, you know, I, I'm friends my son has friends that are little boys and in, in, in little girls in Bradley. And then I'm obviously friends with their parents. The major issue is swimming. I mean, I, I can say unequivocally that the, the um, issue that I see at least is knowing how to swim, being comfortable in the water. And then to your point, Chris, uh, you know, the materials, the surfboard or the wetsuit or, or, or that kind of stuff. But um, you know, the, 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 you know, well, and, and listen, I'm going to bunt this to you guys and say, how do we do a better job with equity for swimming and getting, getting people um, comfortable in water? Yeah. I mean, from I'll, I'll take a swing out at the uh, first year. And I think learned, I learned a ton from just this first season. Um, I would say the kids that kind of came to me first, um, you know, I've only been in the ocean once, don't know how to swim, are some of the most fearless kids that we had who like inevitably were taking off on the biggest waves um, and really pushing themselves further. I think number one is creating an environment that you don't put them, no pun intended, over their head. Um, they can go out over their head, but there's always somebody with them. Um, and we're just, it's a building block, you know, just can you paddle out above, you know, where you're out further than the breakers? Okay, the next week, can you, you know, jump off the side of the board and just hold on? Um, can you tread water? So we've kind of tackled those. Um, I, I'm not even going to say that we tackled the issues. We kind of exploring them more than anything. Um, 
and I do think there is a, a need for it. Um, my hope with this is that when you attach the act of the sport of surfing with it, it creates another motivation of like, okay, you know, I'm having so much fun doing this. There's other things that I need to work on. Um, because with, with surfing, I mean, you're constantly failing, you're failing more, more times than you're getting good waves, you know, with wipeouts, closeouts, waves, waves, knocking you off the side of your board. So just the nature of paddling out, you're constantly getting, you know, pushed off your board and having to work past something. Um, so my hope is by introducing them to that, you know, they'll see these other hurdles and Rodney definitely, um, weaves this in as well when he does his, uh, post-surf reflection with us. Is just like, what did you overcome today? What do you want to get better at? Um, and I think having surfing at the end kind of being that goal, my hope is that, you know, that really pushes it forward. Um, furthermore, is like, we're not trying to come out and fix the situation, you know, with a huge group of kids. Um, we want to make sure if we're finding a, a child that like really wants to do this, let's stick with them the whole way. Um, and my hope is in 10 years, you know, you might be handing the organization off over to one of those kids, or you may be helping them compete. Um, whatever way that they go within the sport, the idea of this organization is kind of be along there alongside of them, um, helping them grow within it. The, um, when we're talking about access to the, the beaches, I think it's just more than just economic access getting passes there's a cultural barrier there right i mean we had yvonne clayton on asbury park councilwoman said growing up in asbury park she wasn't welcome that she, they, you know, she went to belmar you know belmar is where african-american residents went to the beach rather than asbury park so there was a cultural barrier to, and it's not just asbury park all around the country like i have a lot of relatives in long island who live on the water there are no black families on the water on the other side of the railroad tracks you know, or African-American Latino families live over there. So access to the South shore of Long Island, you just can't get to it. It's owned as private beaches. There's a whole, like so many layers of barriers just between just to get to the beach and have a good time is um, really a striking uh, problem. And so it seems to me like an organization like this is allowing is, is sort of chipping away at the ice and creating a space of like comfort. Like, you know, I can come here repeatedly, with people, be in the water, have a good time. I've got colleagues and friends here. Um, am I sort of off the base on that or is that something you're trying to attack? Uh, is that a, an issue you're trying to attack at the same time? No, I don't, I don't think you're off base at all. I mean, there's a, there's a long history with the founder of Asbury Park, James Bradley. Um, mm. You know, he was very outspoken um, with segregation around the beaches, the boardwalk, um, beach badges. The first beach badge was sold in Bradley Beach. Um, so while to many of the cities, they serve a function in terms of raising funds, um, they also still serve the original function of keeping folks who can't afford to, you know, buy badges for their entire family to keep them kind of off the beach. Um, you know, I mean, the reality is if you're working full time, it is, you know, you're getting how many weekends a summer that you're mm -hmm. actually able to get out. And that's even just saying that you're going to go every single weekend. Financially, it starts to make little set, little sense for it. Um, for sure. Um, and I think, you know, part of the hours that we do this, so, um, and maybe Rodney can speak a little bit to it as well, because um, we're very much aligned on that is we operate a little bit later in the day. Um, and I know that is also a big time when Asbury Park residents come down to the beach is more in the evenings when the day trippers are gone. It's a little more mellow. That's actually when we do our lessons as well. Um, 
So it's definitely something that from my point of view with the organization is like, I don't think we have all the answers. We're just trying to have conversations with everybody, um, all the stakeholders to see like, how do we come in um, and serve a purpose? Like, you know, in a couple of years, do we buy a van or are we carting kids over from the West side with surfboards on the roof? If that's what we have to do, then, you know, that's what we'll do. I want yeah, I'd love to see a van full of kids with, with, the, <laughs> with surfboards. This is the, this is the greatest, you know, um, and I, I can add to that briefly more so like in terms of what uh, the both questions, like what you were mentioning in terms of like the, the, the equity, you know, and I think it's just like the larger conversation about just the history and the culture of the, the land of oppression that we live in, where a lot of things that I've learned, like in the past year, two, three years, it's just like things that were completely absent and just shift my perspective on like, oh, OK, man, like there's a read like the red lighting. And there's a reason why this segregation and separation and these things that even like some of the project houses in Asbury Park, I was like one of our staff was telling the kids, like, you, you know, what that project house is even there, you know, how folks got stuck into that that loop of being in this path of poverty. And this begins to in these kids' eyes to begin to see a, a bigger picture. And when you can have, like we did Peace in the Park, conversations amongst all races, doesn't matter, black, white, purple, or green, and just recognize, okay, this is what happened, but what can we do moving forward, you know, without the judgment, without the shaming, shaming the behaviors, but realizing that we all have a role and opportunity to transform. And I think in those conversations, it could begin to allow us to figure out better ways. And also for me, like I learned how to swim in the Boys and Girls Club in Union, New Jersey, when I was a kid. And I know there's a, a tremendous pool, there's a pool in here at Asbury Park, but like it was part of the culture in Union, like everybody swam, didn't matter what block you were at, where you were from, like they would have competitions, they would have little things and games. And now it's just the culture. And you see like, we're living in a different world. Like technology is making youth a lot more sedentary, it's making more things a lot more stagnant. So it's like, how do you bring that, that spark back into the community where like these things are cool again, you know, where they are normalized because I know kids, some kids do take advantage of it, but it's, it's not as many that could get access to those locations with, within the pool. And, you know, I think the challenges are still here today. Like when we went surfing last year, we were by the seventh Ave beach and this wasn't a camp day, but we were just some of our staff and their family and like my wife and my son. And some man came out, it was just like saloon, like a lot of just like, not like racial slurs, but like, what are they doing here? You know, like, like probably the most brown kids, brown people surfing at the beach. And it's just like, okay, like it just shows that it's still alive, but it's like, what is our approach to navigating this? Like, how are we going to handle and, and address the situation, but also be very conscious of like, okay, these things still exist, but you can just tell by the, the mist in the air that we get so much love when we're out there by the beach. People are just like kind of stopping and staring. Like sometimes I like, get like, they're recording a movie because like, man, it's just beautiful to watch that. We don't just have kids from Asbury Park. 50% of our camp is Asbury Park. And then the other 50% is we open up to all towns, Bradley Beach, Belmar, you know, Ocean Township, Long Branch, because we learned that these kids need to experience someone different than themselves as well. And it allows both sides to get a lot more grounded experience. And that's how we see the shift in equity is helping these kids at a, at a very young age begin to see this love where the volunteers from the campers to the council, like it's the diverse group of people. And it's just them able to interact and having conflict resolution conversations going into real time and, and having this experience in a public space. I think that is like kind of the approach that we take from kids at that at the subtle realm, but also working with the Asbury Park trauma with Elisa DiLorenzo. And they're having these conversations with some of the businesses, with some of the police officers, some of the fire station folks and bringing up this idea of trauma. And like these are gentle seeds. It says it takes bamboo five years for it just to sprout. So when you start to see like these seeds be ingested in now, like you, you see the history and cultures that exist in Asbury Park, like it's the slow shit because it's not going to happen overnight. 
we're not just going to wake up and say we're here, but it's like, man, if I could be a patch of land that helped create a, a space of soil that can grow fruit that still resonates in more harmony and balance, I think it's a success. And I, I see that being with the Surf Club, whether we are partnering together or we build each other up. Like I can see so many like from surf competitions to just things that bring energy out there and really figuring out how we can do this in a way that really makes an impact more than just, hey, look at what we're doing, surfing and doing some meditation, if that makes sense. It does. I have a question that you mentioned the the pool at the Boys and Girls Club at Union. Does the I've never been in the Boys and Girls Club here in Asbury. Is there a pool in our in our facility here? Or yeah, Asbury? it's pretty nice oh. pool too. It's a it's a beautiful pool. It's a beautiful pool. Because you mentioned I oh I read a book uh, last year. It got me all fired up about this. Uh, there were much more. Um, there were many more public pools in yeah. the American past that were closed after they were after um, the rules, segregation rules were struck down. So public support for them shut down. And so people could um, had access to swim, but it was, you know, not, not Brown citizens. Right. And then when, um, when civil rights legislation was passed in the sixties, public support for the pools dropped, people stopped paying taxes for the pools, lowered their taxes and put their own pools in the backyards <laughs> rather than support public schools, right? On public pools. And so that when you see, you know, urban kids, my, my mom grew up in the city um, in New York city in the fifties. I never learned how to swim either, but she had, um, but they had access to Rockway beach whenever they wanted to go. And she grew up in and around, around there. Not the same, I think for other, not the same access for other people. And, and when those pools start to shut down, then where are you going to learn how to swim? You know, so the, the fact that the boys and girls club has one is really great. I didn't know. Um, and I'm glad to, I'm glad to hear that. But the, the, the book, uh, if anyone's interested, it's called palaces for the people. It's about uh, public structures and disappearing of uh, uh, public funding for them because of these issues. But um, you mentioned, um, Amy, I'm, I'm monopolizing. So shut well, me up I just here. was going to, I would love to hear a little bit, uh, Ronnie, you touched on it. So, so I, I'm also with you on uh, a lot, you know, different ranges of kids that studies show kids learn more from other kids than they learn. I mean, they learn obviously from amazing teachers, but when kids are in rooms with other kids that know a different set of knowledge that seeps in and, and is actually better for them in terms of, schooling. So um, just curious, you know, age range of the kids, how you pick the kids, where the kids are from, kind of what you, you know, I'd love to hear from both of you what you thought going into it. um, And then kind of what didn't, what didn't, I'm not wording this right, but like what surprised you? in a good way or bad way, or, or, you know, just kind of your observations, you know, whenever I do stuff with kids, um, and, and a, a bit, um, I, I usually walk away with, um, uh, happily surprised and having learned something from the experience that I didn't previously know. So. Oh yeah, no, that's a good question. Uh, well, it was great. We were in the school district for three years. So we had a lot of connection with like parents, families, and youth that we were from the elementary schools that we stay in contact with. And a lot of parents that we definitely do a lot of support with and, you know, we 
always have more youth than we could feel capacity, especially like this year, just having to be mindful of like different uh, COVID restrictions is kind of keeping people safe to a degree. But we, we work with the Boys and Girls Club and we kind of collaborate with them. And when we come there, they let us announce our programs because our camp is in the evening. So both camps in the city and like the Boys Club and the school district are, are closed off. So we always have a good commitment of the youth in Asbury Park. So we had about probably 20 to 23 youth from like Asbury Park and Neptune because like the, the borderline. And then like this through social media and just the community work that we have done, like when we do like events, a lot of parents are always like, they. that's why we opened it up. Well, we took a Montessori training and it helped us learn that philosophy about like Maria Montessori and how to have a diverse classroom for them to get that uh, very uh, uh, evolved and rich experience. So then we were like, okay, a lot of parents were hitting us up like, hey, can my child come to your camp? And we had two students from Bradley Beach and a, a child from Ocean Township that just from someone from lunch break that we knew and a counselor that we knew from Bradley Beach Elementary School reached out to us. And she was like, hey, can my son come through? And we was like, man, it was beautiful because by the other summer camp, they were like hesitant. And we had another counselor from Freehold Regional School District that we worked with. She brought her daughter to our camp. And just to see how much they opened up. And it was like, wow, like these kids don't see color. You know, these kids just see energy and like at first week or two, a little bumpy and just doing team builders and creating a safe container. But it just blew my mind just to see how even this year, like the middle school kids, I found out they had a big like a like a some social media app group chat where they're all in it and they all converse with each other. Like the kids from Ocean, Bradley, Asbury Park, Neptune, like kids who are living in a project house. And you're talking to kids who live in these big houses. And it's like they have this like this common connection. It's like seeing them like this. I think the surfing was like a real glue, too, because it was like a, a space that we're all, you know, coming in as like, you know, just like one. And like they get just got to be like their childlike self and them seeing running in the water and running in like the ocean is just magical. Just being by the water is always where their behavior is always the you know, even like when you're about to sand. So all those elements has really showed that, OK, if we could build a container, if we could create an environment that is, allows them to feel safe. Yeah, there's a lot of there's a lot of behavior issues more than we typically have. And we can see the result of the impact of being that was like in seclusion and not being in school and having all that energy come out of them. But seeing it like it was worth it, the headaches and the aches, because just seeing what the parents would say and knowing the space that it gave them and hopefully the tools that they could carry with them. And we're still doing a surf program now, an extension after our summer program, just because some they, they love it so much. So every Thursday for the next two weeks was four weeks in total. We continue the program just to kind of keep building that energy collectively. Yeah, Can I answer your question. Yeah, Amy, I think you touched on something that was like definitely something I saw around um, getting kids together and then learning from each other. Uh, I think, you know, surfing is no different than that. Yeah, it's helpful to have, um, you know, people there to kind of, you know, stay away from the rocks, the rip currents over here, making sure that there is uh, a level of safety there. Um, you know, but I can speak to my own uh, experience after I was seven or eight, like, my dad was giving me any pointers, man. I was paddling in the other direction. Um, you know, the growth came from the crew that I had who all surfed. It was so built into my, um, into our culture there, being at a short town, um, when all of, we would call them shoobies uh, down in the South Jersey, South Jersey, all the folks from Philadelphia would leave, you know, you were left with the local kids. Um, and we were still going to the beach in September. Um, October surfing through the wintertime. And, you know, that growth within the sport came from my community. Um, so that's a big part of what we're trying to do here is, you know, myself, Rodney, some of the other uh, instructors, like we're not going to be the spark to set a new little surf community, surf culture here. It's going to be a few of these kids that takes it up. 
Um, and it may not be the first season. It may not be the second season, but once, you know, they're in their community doing it and they know that, you know, the way that we're setting up the surf club is, you know, this doesn't belong to any of us. It belongs to the city, um, belongs to the kids that live here year round. Um, and, you know, hopefully they can build that together where, you know, they're the community that's building up, you know, within the, within the club. You know, last, last uh, September, October, I was running down the boardwalk in Spring Lake and I ran right into a surf competition. It was like Belmar High School, Manasquan High School, and some, uh, maybe some other schools. Um, and at the first, my first thought was like, man, I, it's amazing. Asbury Park doesn't have a surf team, right? You know, they could be down here, you know, just a few, uh, just a mile or two down the beach, uh, you know, enjoying the water in the same way. So, you know, uh, maybe we're starting to build a surf culture that ends up with like a, you know, a hopefully with an Asbury Park dominating the surf team, uh, <laughs> APHS surf club uh, dominating the, the Jersey Shore competitions. You know, at least one can hope, yeah. right? And what's what's beautiful with what's beautiful with the sport too is, um, you know, not to knock any of the other sports out there, but once you move on from college or, or you're not up to a certain level, you know, you're hopefully still able to get pickup games. Um, you know, I've never really heard of like, you, know, you get your flag football games going, but it takes a lot of organizing to get that, to get that going for many folks. So, um, and then there's also the injuries that may come with it and you, you reach a certain level. Um, you know, my dad's in his mid sixties and he just did a month long trip in Costa Rica. He surfs, he surfs more than I do. I can tell you that. Um, so this is also one of those things that if, can we just give them something that, you know, releases that energy that Rodney was talking about of you have these frustrations at home. Um, I think it very much aligns with uh, the meditative, the breathing aspects that they teach in KYDS. Um, you know, you get those things just by entering the ocean. So being able to provide that, you know, you don't have to be the best, you know, if you do want to go that path, let's help, let's help grow that and cultivate it. But if you don't, that's just as good. You don't need anyone else to go surf. You can go and, you know, enjoy the ocean by yourself. Uh, on a really petty level. So having a little boy and not, I, I'm not like your sporty lesbian. I'm not really into sports uh, and I'm not handy. So I, I, two of those stereotypes don't apply, but anyway, um, I, my, I had my son in soccer and that was, that was so hellish to watch. And I love coach D. Um, but, but it is not a riveting sport to watch. And then what else was it? T-ball? I don't know. We did another sport and we were like, oh my God, this is torture to watch this for <laughs> two hours. Yeah. You know, and I'm an old mom. I had my son at 40. So, um, so I will say that diving and surfing are next on my list because I feel like those are two sports that I could <laughs> sit and watch and my wife could sit and watch for an hour or two as opposed to soccer, which was just brutal brutal for hours um so anyway it's an interesting sport to, it's like it's an interesting thing to watch for a couple hours um and i'm you know fully aware that that is um no one's no one's complaining head. sitting on the beach either <laughs> and, and honestly little kids in wetsuits is the cutest i mean it's just the cutest thing um little kids trying to figure out what to do with the soccer ball for 90 minutes is like it's like oh my goodness gracious just kick it just kick it kids just kick the kick the ball um anyway i I, I digressed onto that i want to commiserate with ronnie i I played football i played football my whole life and almost played college ball and it's such a violent sport 
um and you know i loved playing it but we also like how many times do we you know practice i'm like i'm oh, just being in practice like this sucks but you know other than the game we just hated it right and just and i don't know i mean you know i don't know how many concussions i had I, never once did i think it's surfing as like surfing has its dangers but it's not a violent sport right so it's really just a wonderful like different kind of athlete. and as chris, chris you pointed out it's a lifelong activity like people who surf always surf <laughs> you know until they can't right and that's really um a different way of keeping you active and in the world and in the water you know the rest of your life you know and can i ask how did you guys tackle transportation i mean how was that how was that something so that's something um i'm involved every year with the um uh the asbury park family day at the beach which does the surfing lessons every year it's it's a it's a very nice event but every year um we line up transportation to make sure everybody can can get there um and and get home so so you know one of the biggest hurdles that i see at least in asbury park um is a transportation issue uh particularly with with youth yeah that's why we were grateful to have a lot of our programming in a, a space that was still like accessible and we had some support from like what like working with the parents the ones who weren't from town like we had any trips they dropped their kids off but the ones that we had in community we had like a, either like a carpool liability system that we put together to ensure that's why we can't we can't have like 20 30 kids because that's that is probably the biggest challenge for 100%. our folks in the community where like you know some of these parents kids are in parents where their parents are inebriated you know intoxicated and it's like if we don't come and knock on the door they're not going to be at camp that day you know and it's just like we kind of have a relationship with the parents and the families and the kids that are in the community and try to make it as close to family as possible like and like we check in on them we always connecting with them so like we take that on us we had one year we had a van but that's that's the goal is honestly just getting a van and using that as a way where we can make sure that the ones who are in the community can be present. And that's always been the, one of the bigger issues of, uh, of getting folks to the location. Do you, uh, you know, to follow up on that, do you guys have fundraisers that people can jump in on or that you haven't thought about that stuff yet? Oh man, I'll say big thank you to the community. You know, we were able to raise a uh, $10,000 for the, the summer program which covered like all, almost all the costs of, activities and big shout out to Chris AP serve like you know they were able to get some funds as well and like they did a lot of the, it's like a Dharma project like they're really doing it from their heart and obviously I, I believe like everything comes along with it though but we're focusing on figuring out ways how to make this more sustainable looking at even grants but even like tapping in because there's a lot of folks with affluence in this community that they can give their energy to support things that are really going to make an impact and create a, a change that's going to support the environment that they want to see. So it's been, it's been beautiful. And we kind of did like a soft, nothing super large. So I definitely see a lot of great potential to support the sustainability of Chris and their organization, and also to support the continuing growth of our organization. Yeah. I, just to piggyback off that, I think like when we first started, it was really important to us to, be additive here and not pull energy away from what Rodney and Michael and their teams were doing. So, you know, we, we inevitably you do because there, there's a lot of conversations that happen around how this works, the expectations of K, uh, the kids has for anyone that's working with the youth that it's in their programs. Um, so they really help provide that. But when it comes to equipment, um, organizing the volunteers that really fell on the side of the, of the surf club. And um, lucky enough, again, that you know, I, I work in this industry, so we're able to, to leverage some relationships to secure equipment. Um, but there will definitely be 
um, you know, each year wanting to expand. Um, so we, you know, we do have a website, asburyparksurfclub.org. Um, if people want to go there, we don't have any, um, anything that we're really pushing for right now. This year was solely like, let's, uh, put our hundred percent focus on KYDS summer journey, make that the best program we can from the surf side. Um, and then once we get on the other side, um, get through the, the noise of summer, connect with Rodney again, um, connect with some of the other folks that we've met. We've, we've had some great conversations with summertime surf. We also volunteered for um, the, the family day and, and did one of those lessons. So I think now that we're building some of these connections, um, just trying to get like-minded people together, like how do we, how do we from the surf club side kind of grow it and what's really needed? Because um, as you said, the transportation side is definitely a huge component. Um, I've done a lot of ex- just fact-finding from the surf side of, you know, why hasn't something like this come up? And that's always the number one. It isn't out of people don't want to do it. It's just, it's hard when you, you know, you're at the beach, you hope, you know, folks are going to show up and they're supposed to, and, and then they don't. And you organize the volunteers. Um, as someone from the outside looking at KYDS, I think um, I would definitely say the trust that they, that they likely have with a lot of these families is what, what brings them out. Um, and I'm definitely sure of it talking to one of their, their employees, Erica, of just, you know, I think they're trusting the surf club. That trust is coming from KYDS and the trust they have for kids. Um, which if it's another, you know, if we were just here by ourselves, I'd, I'd, I'd be surprised if we had the turnout that we did without that partnership. For Asbury Park Family Day at the Beach, it took years to really build. I mean, they're in their 15th or 16th year and it's put on by Surfrider um, and they do they do a great job, but years to really um, to build the trust and to fig- and to tackle the transportation issue, you know, to, to you know, they, they do buses every year. The city make it, uh, well, anyway, they do buses um, every year to, um, to, to get kids to the beach, but I know that that was, I, I repeatedly remember transportation being a major issue for um, Asbury Park Family Day. I'm going to ask a very bizarre question. Um, do you, so Joe Werner, who was, who started Family Day like 15 or 16 years ago, he said that he pees in his wetsuit so it stays warm. Is that, <laughs> is that what people do? It, I'm just curious. In, when you're in 30 degree water. Okay, uh, it's totally true. That is and, the and, beginning. Of, I was like, oh, bullshit, Joe. And he's like, now I drink water to pee in my wetsuit. Or, like, or oh. if you're out in like pumping surf and here in New Jersey, it comes and it goes. You know, you don't have long, you know, waves for days. When we get waves, you got to be on it. And uh, yeah, you're not going to take a, you're not going to go in for a pee break. I'll just say that. Oh, isn't that interesting? Amy, is that um, mean you're in? You're in now. You're on board. You're ready to. You're ready to get a wetsuit and go. <laughs> no. Um, but I do like watching surfing. I do want to be clear on that. And I and I was on a swim team. I mean, I like swimming. I don't know that I have the balance. And at forty, doing new sports is like I got to walk myself into that. Um, can I just talk, can we just touch base a minute on COVID and, and how that kind of played a role in, in any way, shape or form to this formation. And, you know, I, I know the transmission rates much lower with kids, but you still have to be mindful, you know, that there's a distance and, and I know having a five-year-old trying to make clear to him that there needs to be, you know, that, you know, he occasionally needs to put some distance between his best friend, um, it isn't the easiest conversations that I'm having with them. So can, can you, you guys talk a little bit about COVID and, and how that, how that worked itself in? Yeah. 
And like we've been working with schools, like a lot of different areas of Monmouth County, as through the pandemic took place. Like we have a grand in Neptune High School, Park High School as well, and really seeing the impact that the whole pandemic was having on youth. And it's like I almost call it like a like a the piece of the light has been taken. And on that journey, I started doing more research on the the mental health impact on the youth. And uh, you start looking at the data and the research, you start seeing how staggering it is for anxiety, depression, suicidal ideation, and suicidal thoughts, all increasing 50 to 100%. And it's like the category of what is, is not talked about. So we speak to the parents and I'm very open with them. Like, hey, this is this is for your kids' mental and emotional well-being. You know, like you got to look at the studies of what isolation does to a child, what that separation is and really helping them activate that energy of love within their heart. So if they have to go through that space again, they have tools to at least sustain and keep themselves in balance. So we can't like, we don't do like a lot of our close encounter icebreakers and team building, you know, but it's just kind of making them feel safe in the environment and making them become cautious. You know, we had a uh, one slight issue and we talked to the parents of a child went away on vacation. They came back and they didn't notify us to let us know. And it just caused like a little slight stir, but just talking to the parents and having those conversations about like what is it that makes you feel safe for your child to be in this environment so most of our programming was outdoors for that purpose so we're not going to be in closed spaces and we try to keep in environments like the beach a lot of the parks in the community and really partnering with spaces like mom university that really are very grounded in the compliance but they said like the challenge that like, kids want to be kids they want to be playful they want to run around and push around and it's just a matter of uh, us having those dialogues of cautiousness but our main priority was like hey we want to preserve your mental health we want to ensure that if we have to go through something like this all over again this coming year, how am I going to be prepared for myself and taking the guidelines and the precautions, but also really us helping you find those guidelines to make sure your, your internal energy doesn't lose that that glimmer or that shine that these youth have. I have to jump on that too, Rodney, because what I'm, it's funny you keep you, the old, so what I, and this is anecdotally, but uh, every one of my friends who is a teenager's child's having a much harder go of the pandemic than having a five-year-old. And I'm not saying having a five-year-old's been easy yeah. in this pandemic. That hasn't either. But a five-year-old doesn't know what he's missing, um, but a teenager does. And um, I just, I think there is a demographic of teenagers that um, we have, we haven't begun to understand the trauma of this pandemic for them. I don't, I don't, I don't have many friends that have teenagers that aren't currently on antidepressants, like a, a shocking number that pre-pandemic weren't. So anyway, I, I bring that up because um, I, I keep, I also keep my eye on a couple of girls in the, in the high school. Well, one did one just graduated, but a couple of girls in the high school that I kind of look out for and um, just real, really tough, tough time for teenagers. And it was hard for teenagers before, like being a teenager in general totally. is, is a very challenging experience. Just going through your hormones, trying to fit in and just trying to be accepted. And you got they got social media now. So like I was seeing this as a youth development specialist, like 2005. That's why we started kids is because we saw what was happening and it wasn't really acknowledged on a large scale. But like folks were seeing it. And now you add a layer of the pandemic and these kids don't even have the coping skills. It's like the resilience factors are very low. So, you know, try, trying our best in schools now actually taking acknowledgement where it's like it's not just about the learning loss, but it's like the mental health loss. And really having conversations with certain districts in Monmouth County who are like seeing, OK, we have to take care of our staff. 
we have to take care of our students because they're not going to learn anything if their their body's not regulated, if the brain can't function. And that's kind of like what we're trying to be a pillar in within this whole pandemic, because I can see what it's going to look like if, if things don't change. But the beautiful part is you're seeing a lot more folks who are having these kind of conversations. You know, uh, going back to um, we're, we're getting close to our time, but I want to ask, is there what, what's the age range of the students you, you're working with? Is there an upper level? You know, if high school, if a high school kid's listening, is, are they too old for uh, for the surf club? Who who are you trying? What what range of uh, of kid are we looking to serve? Um, and who's if someone's listening, if they wanted to reach out, we got we get, have the rainbow. We do. Both. <laughs> we we have from uh, some third graders depending on the age maturity. We do third to sixth grade, fourth to sixth grade as our elementary program. You know, our vision was to have a 40 person camp this year, but when the pandemic hit, it just staggered everything and like our progression of our summer program. So we have a 20 limit for that camp. And then for elementary, for middle school, we have sixth to eighth grade and 20 kids. And then we, we typically do, it's kind of got slowed down because of the pandemic, but we have a junior conscious worker program where we invite five to 10 high school or freshmen or sophomores in college to volunteer as like a little like internship and to take on some of the roles and to do some of the leadership capacities, but they all participate, some of them in the surfing if they want to or could join in. So essentially we try to be like be in contact with as many of the youth as possible from the age range from elementary, middle and high school. And um, it's never, never too late to start surfing. I'll just, I'll just say that. Oh man. Yeah. Rodney, you just started, right? Is that my understanding? Is that is that you just learned how to surf yourself? Oh man, Chris, he gave me some great foundational tools uh-huh. and techniques, and I, I didn't go out as much because we had a lot of kids. So I, like, I know yeah. if I go on a line, I might be hogging up some of the, the surf time, you know. But <laughs> last year, like it just like you said, it's a freeing experience, like being in the ocean, like you look at infinity, and it's like sometimes it goes so far out, you turn back around, and like you get this feeling inside. But if you could just move through it, if you could just sit with it, it like it awakens something inside. It is like Chris is like a guru of the water. Like I'm like, oh, okay, you you can read the waves, like just seeing how intuitively, how naturally, like I'm just absorbing it, like a sponge and even if i'm not even surfing like just sitting on the board you know and just paddling and just being there like okay if i'm feeling this if we could get the kids to be open enough to just get out here i know they're gonna feel this too and it definitely opened up as part of me where like you said i do yoga and i i I see surfing being something like i want to incorporate because i know playing football and playing street basketball is only going to last me so long before maybe I, I pop an Achilles or, or tear, mm-hmm. tear ACL. So seeing things that will preserve the, the nature of my, my body as well. So, Chris, just closing up, three three tips that you would give to somebody who's considering surfing. Three tips. Um, number one, I would definitely say go take a lesson. Uh, it's going to get past most, a lot with surfing, what your instincts tell you to do, um, it's the exact, exact opposite of what you should be doing. So oh, if I am going to give that first tip, definitely go take a lesson. Um, and, what, that, and when you wait, just so just back up to explain that. So when you say you're when your first instincts telling you what to do surfing and you should be doing the opposite, like, what do you mean? Give me an example. So one thing that I would say that I see the most is that folks get on the board and they typically are laying directly in the center of the board. Um, if you take a person, put them directly in the center of the surfboard, they're actually a little bit too far forward. So you need to be a little further back so that the nose of the surfboard lifts out of the water. Um, that is the most common mistake that you see. Um, or even just seeing people that aren't paying attention to it. 
Um, and it really always is you're too far forward. Um, now, when a wave breaks, that nose is going to go directly under and you're going to go sliding off the front of it every time. So it's definitely um, is pretty frustrating, but it's an easy thing if you have someone telling you to, to adjust your positioning. Um, and there's all sorts of different instances where, yeah, your, your instincts would, would not serve you correctly. Um, I mean, just going to how to conduct yourself in a rip current, right? Like your instinct tells you to swim to shore. Um, unfortunately you are swimming against a current that is moving a lot faster than you can. Um, mm -hmm. so that's why you have folks who find themselves in a rip current. They pat, they start swimming to shore, get fatigued, um, and eventually go under, you know, what you wouldn't think to do is to just let the current take you out, which is actually the better way to get through it or start swimming parallel to the beach. Um, so that's probably the biggest one, um, where your instinct isn't going to help you, um, uh, definitely in rip currents. Okay, tip two and three. Yeah, so tip two would definitely be don't go surfing where everybody else is. Mm. Um, it's a common mistake of, you know, maybe paddling out at Lock Arbor here uh, on the, the north end of Asbury and see a million people out. Um, that just means you're going to catch way less waves. So, you know, definitely have a buddy. Don't go, you know, surfing um, down in the middle of Asbury where there's nobody out and you're by yourself. Um, but definitely get away from folks when you're just starting out doesn't matter the wave quality. You just need to catch as many waves as possible. Um, and step tip three would be just have fun. Um, <laughs> you know, you definitely see it with folks like the frustration or with it, but you know, I've been doing this for 25 years. I definitely fall a lot more than I, than I ride waves to completion. And, um, it ends up becoming part of the experience, part of the enjoyment. Um, so yeah, definitely just enjoy the experience. Hey, thank you guys so much. Much appreciated. Thank you. So uh, before we go, um, so we I got, we mentioned the 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 website for Asbury Surf Club, and I'm gonna I'll I'll, I'll repeat it in a, I'll record a, an afterward and remind people. Um, so uh, uh, KYDS, do you do you have a website? Oh yeah, man. Uh, conscious.org. That's conscious with a K. That is our website, KYDS underscore NJ is our Instagram handle. You know, you could join our newsletter. We have some trainings that are going to be coming out just to really help folks get the foundational tools that we train for our staff to help them grow and evolve. So if you want to learn more about us, support us, you could donate on our website. You know, every penny makes an impact on helping us support the community. And definitely want to give my gratitude and appreciation once again for having us on here and giving us a platform to just express we all oh, so thank, thank you guys you. for taking the time thanks for oh, taking that's the great time. yeah i'm sorry I uh, give us a week or two until we also um give us a week or two to um joe has to edit see if i said anything inappropriate and then um, <laughs> then we got to edit that out and act like we had sound issues the, the folks at <laughs> marlboro might not be super happy if i got to like, ever would have run for higher office like <laughs> so it's fine i gotta put his tape back up amy freeholder looks out of reach now <laughs> <Out of reach. laughs> well, thanks right, a lot, thanks, guys. guys. Really oh, appreciate man. it. Really greatly yeah. appreciate it. All Thank right. you. If you'd like to contact Rodney or Christian or would like to volunteer for KYDS or the Asbury Park Surf Club, they can be found at the following websites. KYDS can be found at conscious.org. It's K-O-N-S-C-I-O-U-S dot O-R-G. And the Asbury Park Surf Club can be found at asburyparksurfclub.org. Thanks.